Welcome to the House Church Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message by student pastor Devin Cheatwood. If you would like to know more about the House Church, please visit our website at welcometothehouse.com or download the House app. I do student ministries here, and then also I just transitioned from doing kids' church, but, uh, and then I also work at Be The One Ministries, and so basically my job is to care about the next generation, um, and I really do, so it's good to, that I get to do what I love already. I'm super passionate about the next generation, and so that's what I'm sharing about today, but before we get into that, I wanted to look at a little uh, passage of scripture, and uh, I want to set us up a little bit. Um, way, way, way back in the day before they had printed Bibles and stuff. And now we're kind of like the spoiled generation of God's people because we have the Holy Spirit and we have the Bible that's just printed off and we can even look at it on our phones. But uh, back in the day, that's not how it worked. They didn't have paper and stuff. So they had prophets who would come and give the word of God to people. And most of the time it wasn't like, you know, the nice stuff that we read, like Song of Solomon. It wasn't that. It was like, you sent us and you're all gonna burn forever. So um, there, was this, there was this really guy who was really famous for doing that, and it was Isaiah. And Isaiah is like one of the like, top three prophets in the Bible. He's just killer. He could like, they called him the eagle eye prophet because he would preach about stuff that people didn't even know that they needed because they didn't need it yet, but they would need it. And when they needed it, they were like, oh, Isaiah said that we would need that. And so Isaiah is the eagle eye prophet. And uh, there's this king, Hezekiah, in the Bible. And um, God had really just been blessing Israel. Like they were starting to thrive. Um, and... So one day God sends Isaiah to talk to King Hezekiah and, and, and he has some bad news for him. Basically, Isaiah says, hey, King Hezekiah, I know everything's going good right now, but your people are kind of rebellious, kind of sinning a little bit. So um, God is going to turn over Israel to the hands of Babylon and, and, and your sons will be eunuchs. Now that's really bad news, especially if you know what a eunuch is. That is especially bad news. If one of his kids was eavesdropping, you have to imagine what that felt like. And, <laughs> like, oh. and so this is Hezekiah's response. And, and when I read this, I was like, I can't believe that this dude is this selfish. But this is what he says. Um, if God says it, it must be good. That's not the selfish part yet. Um, but he was thinking to himself, it won't happen during my lifetime. I'll enjoy peace and security as long as I live. And so here you have a king who only cares about his kingdom as long as he's living. That's like us being a church and and somebody comes to Stephen and says, hey man, if y'all don't get it right, you know, once you're in Devon, it's over with. Like the house is just going to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. He'll be like, I don't care. I mean, we did what we had to do. We don't care about the churches. We're going to die, go to heaven. That's fine. That would be like a parent you know, working hard, paying all their bills, getting their mortgage, getting their house, and then say, hey, all of your sons are going to be cursed, like, forever. Just, that would be like a parent being like, I don't care. Some of the sons are in here like, yeah, you better not be saying that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just remember reading that last week and being like, that dude is selfish. <laughs> and then God started to speak to me and really convict me of like, really, Dad? You think he's selfish? What do you do with your time for the next generation? Or what are you, what are you spending your time, talent, and treasures on? Are you, inve- are you intentional about investing in the next generation? And, and, and there's a difference between someone who spends all their money and invests it. I remember uh, when I first started working with Stephen, he would talk to me about my budget. And nobody, I didn't even know a budget was a thing because where I'm from, you just get the money and then you go spend it. <laughs> and uh, so he's like, hey, you got new shoes? Yeah, I got paid yesterday. How much money you got now? Like negative 35 cents in my account right now, but next week I'm gonna be good. 
And he was talking to me about how you're supposed to save some of it, and you're supposed to live off a part of it. And a lot of times, we do that with our money, but we forget to do it with our lives. And we, we just spend it all for us, and by the time we get done, it's like, well, I lived a good life, didn't I? It was fun. Live for God. Now my race is over. And the Bible does tell us to run a race. But I think that sometimes we could get so caught up on running our own that we forget about the one behind us. And I don't think that God called us to run an 800 meter, two couple laps, whatever. I think it's a relay race and we're called to pass the baton. And, and, and you can see that through the Bible with God passing it to Adam and then Adam I don't really know if he passed it to Abel and then Cain killed Abel and took it or what happened right there. But God has been passing the baton down and down and down. And so I, it's, it's, it's not just for some people to do. And I think that's why it's important that, that we communicate this in the church is because it's not just for the pastors to pass the baton, but it's for every person in the church to pass it on to someone else. Because you can teach somebody something that I would never be able to. So a couple, last year... It's 2017, right? Yeah, last year. Uh, <laughs> the Olympics happened, and I don't know if you, like, really get, I know people that get, like, super pumped about the Olympics. I'm not really one of those people, because all, all you do is just watch a bunch of people do stuff that you can't do. And so I just <laughs> get mad, turn on to a Comedy Central or something. I don't know. I just don't like watching the Olympics that much. But um, I do remember watching the women's 4 by one last year and how they, like, completely destroy every other country and I feel kind of sorry but then I feel really good because we're American Woo! So, but uh, what happened was before when they were doing the, the qualifiers so you have to run uh, in your pool and you have to beat them to get to the finals and so they were running the qualifiers and uh, one of our girls went to pass it pass the baton on to the next and another team bumped her arm and she dropped it and so they were all like devastated because you know when you're in America if you go to the Olympics and you come back and you don't have at least three goals then we see you somewhere else, because we can't, we can't deal with that here, okay? Uh, but they ended up reviewing the film, and, the, and they saw that she got bumped, so they let them do the qualifiers over, and they ended up getting in there. And uh, they start the race, and it, they just, like, you can just tell that these girls are, like, mad that they even almost lost, so they just destroy everyone. And I started to think, like, they can't be that much faster than everyone else, because, I mean, they, everyone else trains just as much as they do. They can't be that much better. They're not, like... 10 pounds with super strong legs. They're not like, they're not like robots that are different than every other human. What happened was, as I kept watching it, and I watched this race like, I'm embarrassed to say how many times I watched this race, it's kind of weird, but I watched it like 20 times just over and over and over. And I started to notice that like, their handoffs were like flawless. Like you did, if you weren't like paying attention, you wouldn't even see the baton go from hand to hand. You would just be like, oh, they, she got the baton now, wow. <laughs> and so I have to believe that if we want to, win the race overall, like if we want to have a presentable church when Jesus comes back, then we have to be intentional about how we pass the baton. So I have four points that I want to share with you about how I feel like we can do a great job at passing the baton. Um, the first one is preparing. Uh, and so I talked about it a little bit, but we all, all, we all know that people who are in the Olympics don't just wake up one day and say, oh, I want to be an Olympian, let me go try. They practice over and over and over. So I started watching interviews. Like, how do y'all, like, I started reading articles of, like, well, how do you have a good baton pass? And I know most people don't do that, but I'm not most people. Um, <laughs> and, like, watching interviews, they say, man, we practice way more on the handoff than we do on the running. Because they can run. I mean, come on, everybody can run. If you, could, you know what I'm saying? You put a donut in front of some people, you put the couch behind other people. People can run, is all I'm saying. 
But they have to practice. They, they tape it off to like, this is where I'm going to start running. This is where I'm going to end. This is where I'm going to have the baton. They, they count the number of steps that it takes in between the pass. It's like, it's so many details. They, if you run to the right hand, then you pass it to the left, and then they pass it to another. I was like, man, I'm getting tired just thinking about all the stuff you have to prepare for. So this disqualifies me from running a relay, so I would never run one, just in case you were wondering. Um, I want to turn to the Bible real quick, and I feel like one of the uh, people who are the best at passing the baton was Paul. Um, and you have to know that it's a big baton for, pass to, for Paul to pass off because he pretty much wrote a lot of the New Testament and was the pioneer for the early church. And so for him to pass the baton to somebody was like a big deal. And uh, this is when he met Timothy. And so most people think Timothy was like, 19 to 21, around that age group, so pretty much my age. Um, and Paul met him, and he says, uh, Paul came first to Derby, and then Lystra. He found a disciple there by the name of Timothy, son of a devout Jewish mother and Greek father. Friends in Lystra and Iconium all say what a fine young man he was. See, they're pretty much just talking about me. You just insert Devin instead of Timothy, and you got me. Uh, Paul <laughs> wanted to recruit him for their mission, but first took him aside and circumcised him so he wouldn't offend the Jews who lived in those parts. They all knew that his father was Greek. Now, if you want to talk about having a bad first day on the internship, <laughs> is when your boss comes in. Now, I've I done, you know, done some hard stuff for Steve. He asked me to do some stuff that I wasn't comfortable doing. Nothing weird, just stuff that was harder than what I could do. But he's never come into the office on a Tuesday morning <laughs> like, with some scissors. <laughs> Hey, Dev, come in my office real quick. We got to handle something. I'm like, hey, I feel like God is calling me out of the ministry, Stephen. I'm going to go sell cars or something because I can't, I can't do this no more. But what Paul was doing is he was preparing Timothy to get ready to do ministry. And it says right after that, that that Paul and Timothy went out and they were ministering to people and the church was growing every day. But Paul knew that if Timothy wasn't what they could accept, then he would never be able to minister. And so Paul was not just interested in, you know, clipping people. He was interested in preparing Timothy to do the work of the ministry. And so how do you do that? Well, you have to be, um, there's a difference between being a teacher and a coach. And, and sometimes we are great at teaching concepts. Like I am more like, I lean towards more of a teacher. So I just want to tell you and I just want to expect you to be able to do it. And when you can't, I'm just going to teach you how to do it again. And if you didn't do it, I'm going to be like, all right, stop. <laughs> And uh, I remember when we were first starting kids' church, and uh, I needed a sound guy. And my, my available sound guy was Trevi Trev on the front row right here. And so, you know, he's like 10, so you can't expect too much. But I expected a lot. I was like, man, you, I said you're going to be the sound guy. I told you how to turn it on and plug it up, so you're just going to be able to do it. And uh, we did worship, and he would put it on, like, just turn the red knob all the way up. <laughs> kids, kids' ears are bleeding. No, nobody bled. But uh, he's just blasting it. I'm like. I taught you how to do this. So I go back there and say, hey, Trev, you can't do that, man. You got to not turn it up that much. I put a little piece of tape on there. It was, it was simple. And uh, so then, I, then he did it again, and all the kids' ears were about to bust. And so I finally realized that maybe I need to walk him through this of how I would do it. And then after that, it was fine. If I would ever do kids' church, I don't want other, no other sound man except for Trevor. You know what I'm saying? My boy. Love you, man. All right. So as a church, how do we coach people and prepare them? Well, you have to know that in five days we have four interns coming, and we're just going to prepare them to do ministry. Not that we have to make them come and do our thing, but we believe that when they get under people who are serving and working hard, that it's going to 
it's going to birth a gift inside of them, and they're going to be able to do ministry. And so if you are a young person, and I believe this, if you want to go to, and it doesn't just have to be church stuff, if you want to go to the next level in anything, finances, relationships, uh, your job, you need to find someone who's older than you and do what they're doing. If I didn't want to be a pastor, I wouldn't be, I would be be around Stephen a little bit, but I'm I'm under him because he is at where I want to be at one day, and he can prepare me. But you have to be willing to be prepared. So you have to be prepared to be prepared, if that makes sense. Um, So I can't just go into a meeting with Stephen and have all of my ideas, and if he says something that I agree with, I check it off and be like, oh, I'm going to do that. And I have to be ready to accept whatever he says, as long as it's not like something crazy sinful that's against the Bible, and be willing to do that and impart into my life, because he's where where I'm not. And so in our culture, we want you to, well, first, you have to be nice to me for 10 years about. And once you do that, then I might listen to you. Which, which kind of makes sense, but it's not how the Bible says it's supposed to be set up. So we honor authority because God put it there, not because we like what they say. Uh, if I burned out the first time Stephen said something I didn't like, I've been here for about 2.5 seconds, and now I'm like, <laughs> you know. But it helped me, it helped me. Uh, so the first point is preparing. So, so once you prepare them and you feel like they're ready to go and you feel like it's ready to start the race, then you have to set the pace. Yeah. You have to set the pace. Um, so in a relay, the, the outgoing runner can't run faster than the one who's coming in. It's coming, or else he's going to miss the baton. So you have to set the pace with your life so that we can see how quick you're coming so we can know how we can take off. But if, if there's a miscommunication in there, then the race is over and we lose. So in the Bible, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it talks about this a little bit. And Paul is writing to Timothy. Um, at this point, Timothy is a pastor. He's got his own church. He's growing and thriving. And so Paul is writing to him and he says, um, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. I, I think it's interesting that he never said, hey, Timothy, do you know about my da-da-da? He says that you know because he had set the pace and lived life with them. Um, he said, what kind of things uh, happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured? Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from who you learned it. So here's the thing. As a younger generation, I don't, I don't want to just know you on Sunday morning. Like, you coming to church, I love that you come to church, but it doesn't really help me apply that to my life daily. I need to know you when you've gotten into an argument with your wife and how you respond. I need to know you when your kids have frustrated you and how you respond. I need to know you at the end of the week on Friday when you just got off and your kid bugs you about something. I need to know if you, what, how you respond to that so that I can apply it to my life. There's never been a sermon that Stephen preached where I was just like, whoa, I think I'm going to do all of that and then go and do it. But there has been times where we went to Silver Dollar City with them, or we were, in a, we were actually in a car wreck together. So that's how you know when you're close, when you're in a car wreck. And I almost said a word that I can't say up here, but I caught myself because I was like, hey, Stephen, how you doing? You, you good? I need to know how you react in stressful situations because when that comes up for me, I can't, I'm not going to flip through my notes from two years ago and say, oh, I remember Stephen preached about this. This is great. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember Steven, we got into a wreck and he got out and checked on the man and made sure he was okay and he didn't say the word that I almost said and he, he was fine. I just got engaged, actually, so that's exciting. I almost forgot because she wasn't in here, but uh, she works in kids' church. Her name's Sydney, best person you're ever gonna meet, I promise you. Uh, but uh, I, I didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, I think I'm gonna get, get engaged, I'm gonna do it. No, I, I made sure that I was prepared, and I knew that I was prepared because I had been around a man who has a great marriage, his kids yeah. love him. Yeah. He's been married for a long time, almost as long as I've been born. Uh, so, <laughs> not trying to throw y'all out there on the age thing, but you see the gray, you see the gray. Uh, don't act like it. But I was confident that I could go into marriage because he had set the pace for me and he had prepared me to do that. Um, the, the third point is this. Partnering. So the first was preparing, second pace setting. The third thing is partnering. You know that it takes a little bit of teamwork to run a relay. You can't just hold on to the baton forever. Are they going to be like, bro, pass me the baton, what's wrong with you? Also, on the other end of it, as the next generation, we can't, we can't just sit there when we, once we get the baton. We have to work together. And when Paul would write letters to other churches, he would always address Timothy is me and my fellow worker, Timothy. He would never say, me and that other little skinny dude that be with me all the time who listens to me. <laughs> he always let people know that he had a partner. And young people don't want to feel like a minion. Like, I don't want to come into the office and just feel like I'm just working for somebody. I want to know that we are working together to get to a goal. And you, you want to be in a place where people want you to be, not like, you don't want to feel like you're paying somebody to do a job for you. Even if you're a boss, you want people to come and say, hey, I'm excited about today, man. What's up? Give me a hug. Let's get to work. You know? But with that, we still have to honor the older generation. And I've learned that it gets tricky right around the partnering part. Because once we start to partner, you start to feel like, okay, we're working together. And it gets harder and harder to honor people the closer that you get to them. And so it's easier to say, man, Stephen, get on my nerves. Every time I do something, is wrong. I never said this before, don't worry. <laughs> I haven't rehearsed this ever. No. <laughs> but does that make sense? It gets harder to honor him, so you have to work towards him. You have to pray for them, and God has to humble you. and it has to, You have to go back and say, oh, man, you know what, Stephen? You were right about that, and I responded the wrong way, and I'm sorry. And I remember, like, when I first started, it was so hard for me to apologize for something, especially if I didn't feel like I was wrong. But now I just like make it a point, of, like even if I, if I wrong somebody and they just feel wrong and I actually didn't, I'll just go and apologize so that we can still partner in the work of the ministry and keep that honor because God put it there. And what I've learned is that if God puts something in place, you probably want to do it. Because even if, no matter how talented I am, no matter how good I am at this, I am only here because of the authority that I'm under who has raised me up. And so if you want to go to the next place, I'm just telling you, you need to partner with authority. Um, we do uh, mission trips every summer. We're about to do two. Uh, we, go, we do one local and then we go to Belize. We, when, the, when the young people come, we don't say, hey, you're going to do our thing and you just get to watch. They would all leave. They don't want to come. But no, we make them do the testimonies. They do the carnivals. They do all the ministry. And we usually just come up, pray at the end, and people get saved. And it's not just me and Stephen that do it. It's them who, we partner with them. We know how to do it. We could go out and do it, and I believe that we could do everything that they do. Yeah. 
We probably would get tired a little bit. Steven, probably not. Steven, probably not. I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to partner with Steven, then you're going to have to have a good pace. I'm going to go back to the pace setting thing. Because the Lord just spoke this to my heart, man. Steven goes at a fast pace. You ever been through a drive through with Steven? Like the drive through people know Steven by name, I'm pretty sure by now. Like, hey, there's that guy. Just hurry up. Come here. Like, you need to know what you're going to order like 10 minutes before you even get there. He's like, he's like what you want, Deb? Where are we going, Steven? <laughs> so I just narrowed down my choices when I'm with Steven. I'm like, I'm going to get something with bacon and cheese. And the first thing I see with bacon, I'm just going to get it. Sometimes I get stuff with avocado. I don't even eat avocado, but I just fight through it because I don't have time. <laughs> he's just moving at a fast pace. And if you're going to partner with somebody at the next level than you, then you're going to have to catch up to their pace. Life lessons with Dev. So you have to partner. The last thing is you have to push. You have to push. And this is the part where it gets uncomfortable for both parties. Because personally, we don't like to be pushed because it's not comfortable. And then I'm on the end. I don't think Steven has this problem. But I'm on the end where I don't like to push people because I don't want them to feel uncomfortable. Because when they feel uncomfortable, I feel uncomfortable. And I just don't like that. It's weird. It's awkward. I don't want to tell somebody to do something because I don't want them to dislike me. And so we have a, that's our culture, that's what we, that's what we do. And, and, and we have a culture of, of kids who don't come to church because they don't want to. And I'm not, I'm not a parent, and I'm not trying to give no parent advice, so before y'all start throwing shoes at me or anything, that's not my thing. All I know is, in my house, when I was growing up, my mom let me do whatever I wanted. Any choice that I wanted to make, she let me do it. And that did not turn out too good. When I was 17, I was an alcoholic and a drug head, so I'll just tell you that right now. That's what happens when young people make their own decisions. You say, oh, Deb, that was just you. It was just part of your environment. Nah. Nah, bro. Because I know, see, I'm mixed. So I got black family and I got white family. So I know kids who grew up in the suburbs. I know kids who grew up in the ghetto. And the ones who make their own decisions, they all end up doing bad. So you got to push. Um, I don't believe that Stephen has ever pushed me into a ditch or even wanted to. Now, in the moment... I was like, Stephen trying to put me into a ditch, God. You need to get him. Get him. He hurting me. I would, it got to the point where like, I would have to take a shower after every Stephen talk I had because it was just like stressful. I just need to relax. <laughs> but he was pushing me in the direction that I needed to go. And sometimes as young people, we'll focus on the person pushing us and we'll nag and we'll grab and we'll say, man, you pushing me. Man, you pushing me. Man, you pushing me. Stop pushing me. Stop pushing me. And you turn around and you're in the place that you need to be the whole time. And so we have to be intentional about when we're being pushed, don't just throw up the towel and quit. Like when Stephen pushes me, in the moment I get upset. I do. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. But I never react out of that. I react out of all the honor that I have for him, all the, all the times that he pushed me in the right direction. Like that's what I respond out of. Older people, we got to want to push. Like I, when students come here, or somebody comes to the office and say, hey, I want to volunteer, or I want to help, I want to do something. I don't go, okay, we're just going to do whatever you want to do. They would do nothing. Not, not saying they would, not saying people are lazy, but especially teenagers would do nothing. I know that for a fact. <laughs> I don't go to teenagers and say, hey, what do you want youth group to look like? Okay, I got, I got you. If I ask Trev, I'm going to tell you what Trev would say right now. First, got to have some pizza, bro. Dr. Pepper, diet if you got it. Uh, I'm going to need a lot of video games. And then if you get a couple cute girls to show up, that should just be a bonus, but that would be nice too. 
I'm not gonna do that. Let me just throw that out there. Like, I'm not gonna follow them into what youth group is supposed to look like. I'm gonna make sure that God is there and that it's fun. I'm sure that we'll have pizza and video games and hopefully for Trevor, cute girls will show up eventually. But, <laughs> but I'm gonna make sure God is there and then I'm gonna push them into their gifts. Like, I don't go, hey, what are you good at? Stephen never asked me like, hey, what are you good at? He was just like, hey, can you do this? I just said yeah to everything because I just figured I could. He was like, all right, do it. Then some stuff, I was like, okay, I cannot do this. But you push them into their gifts. And if you watch a, a race, obviously they don't push each other because that would be really bad. But if you listen to it without all the commentary, you'll hear them going, run, 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 which I thought was pretty dumb because that's the whole point that they're there <laughs> is to run. But they do that because they're not just focused on their part of the race. They're focused on the entire thing. And if I run a really great race, but I don't ever push the next generation to run theirs, then it's going to end with me. And you can't win a relay with only one person. You have to have the full team. So in the, in the Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, uh, Paul says something to Timothy that's interesting. He says, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so basically what Paul is saying is like, everything that I did with you, Timothy, I didn't just do that for your good, but I want you to go and share that with other people. Like, I want you to build the church because Paul probably knew he was about to die soon, okay? And so he wrote this to Timothy because he's saying like, after me, I want this thing to still be growing. Like, when I'm gone, I still want the house to be thriving. I still want it to be multi-generational, multicultural. And if I want that, then I'm gonna have to do these four Ps or else it's not gonna happen. And, and that's what he's telling Timothy. And so as a church, how, how are we pushing people? What are, you, what are you doing to push people? And a lot of times we get caught up in, well, Dev, you can push kids because, you know, you're kind of like Stevens, number two, you're his right-hand man. You know, you kind of called to do this, so you should do it. All right, oh, Stevens the pastor, so of course he has to do it. So, so why do I have to do it? But like I said earlier, it's a mandate for the entire church. And you don't have to, the thing that I love about God is that you don't have to be perfect to come to him and be used. And I remember uh, a few weeks ago, I, uh, I met this old guy. I was at, um, sorry, I, I just forgot his name, but um, I was speaking at a youth conference in Little Rock. And this is a good time. It was fun. Um, and I was at our booth for Be The One. And I was giving out wristbands and, and telling kids about missions and just doing my thing, you know. Um, and this, this older gentleman comes up and he starts to talk to me and he's like, hey, how you doing, whatever. And he's talking to me like he knows me or like has seen me before. And you know, I, I never met him. So you ever did that when you're talking to somebody and it's like, hey, it's good to see you. And you just kind of slowly creeping out the back. Well, I was doing that and eventually I was just like, you know what, I'm gonna just ask him. Like, why are you talking to me like you know me? But I didn't ask him like that. I said, so uh, tell me about you. How do you know? Have you heard of Be The One before? And he, uh, he was like, yeah, 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 I've heard a thing or two. Um, and we were talking, and he was like, well, when you go back, you tell Stephen, I said, that, that I was checking on him and just asking him how he's doing and, and tell him that I was thinking about him. And I said, wait, how do you know Stephen? This is weird. He's like, oh, I was Stephen's youth pastor. And so we took a selfie and everything. I posted it on Facebook. I was like, I couldn't believe he was still alive. Cause... <laughs> I was like, man. He got, he got that 120-year promise from God, and he just held on to it. He got it going. And it was funny in the moment, and I was joking about it with Steven, and I was in the car driving back, and, and I just started to think, like, wow. Like, I owe my life to that man. Right. 
And he never, like, that was his first time meeting me. He never saw me. He never knew me. But he knew Stephen, and he invested in Stephen, and Stephen invested in me. And here's the thing. If I was waiting on Stephen to be perfect before he mentored me, or he was waiting on himself to be perfect, then it would never happen. And I would, when I met Stephen, he, he came to a church, and he, he, he preached, and I, you know, I, one of my friends had been kind of talking to me about God, but I didn't really know. I didn't really grow up with that. And uh, I went and I ended up getting saved that night. But I don't even think that was the most important thing that Stephen had done in my life. A, a few months later, I came on the mission trips with him. And ever since then, like, he just kept up with me and kept like texting me and calling me and commenting on my Facebook post. I'm like, man, I got 40 year old dudes commenting on my Facebook post. Come on, man. I met him, I was insecure. like. I would never be able to get up in front of people and share. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't care about anybody else. And basically, I was existing. That's what I was doing. And it's not a sermon that he's preached. It's not uh, a three-point analysis that he gave me that, that changed it. He was just living life. And he invited me to come along. And he pushed me along the way. He partnered with me along the way. He did everything that I talked about. And this whole message is because one man invested into me. And so I don't believe that you're not good enough. I don't believe that it's, this message is not for you. Because if I'm up here, then anybody really could do it. And God is wanting to use you, but I feel like sometimes we are like stuck on this thing of like, I need to be perfect, I need to be perfect, I need to be perfect. You just need one step. You need one step ahead of me for me to listen to you. If you have more money in your bank account, I'll listen to you. If you have a better family than I do, I'll listen to you. If you're five years older than me, I'll listen to something that you say. And as the older generation, you have to be willing to open your mouth and be inviting and welcome young people and, and, and not just see this church as, oh, this is just a bunch of young people. They let dudes with slits in their hair and skinny jeans preach. Man, I ain't going to that church. No, we should be excited. Like, wow, our church is vibrant. We have young people, man. Because most young people don't come to church on Sunday. So we should be excited. We should welcome them. When they come in, come on. Some of you have the gift of grandmother. And I miss my grandma. And so sometimes I just need a hug from grandma. I was telling Stephen, we were joking the other day, and I come to cleaning on Friday at 530, right here in the 40 we meet. If you want to look for a way to serve God, we invite you. <laughs> but uh, the other night, it was me, and I, called, I said it was Dev and the Cheetah Girls when I was talking to Stephen. There's, uh, there's three older women who come, and they're just always full of joy. And, and I've never seen somebody so happy to clean in my life, because I'm like, See? They ain't gonna lie on you. She just snitched on me in front of everybody. But I honor them. We laugh and we have fun, but I make sure that I honor them. Because they have paid a price and lived a life that I have not yet. And they were trying to take the trash out all the way from over here the other day. I was like, lady, if you don't give me that trash, I've been working on these guns just for this reason right here. We have got to honor. So, Pray for the next generation. I make sure to pray for babies and tots and kids and junior high kids and high schoolers and college people because I want this to last for a long time. When Stephen's old and gray, he's almost there. Come on, we want to have this thing still popping. We still want to have it good. So we're going to have to pray for that. We got to give. We're not, 
Like when you give your tithe or offering or whatever, we don't just go to the bank, get it all in ones, and then go to the office and have a party and throw it everywhere. That's not what we do. No, we invest that into people and we do ministry and we do outreaches and internships and mission trips and we invest your money into ministry. And I don't see a better way to invest. You know, as I'm up here, it's almost hard to like not get emotional, but just to look and see a man who really was intentional about pouring into me and saying, Dev, like, you jacked up, but we can take you somewhere. And I believe that God is wanting to do the same thing through you, because it's not because he's so awesome. I've known him for a while, I can tell you, he's aight. <laughs> but there's a young person right now that you can think of. If you're in college, there's a junior high kid here that you can think of. If you're in high school, there's a third grader in there somewhere. And we can start now investing in the next generation so that the future can be good. And, but let's not be like Hezekiah <laughs> and say, hey, we good right now, you know, we got Devin and Steven and Nick with his hair flip and guitar, we good. And after that is they gonna have to figure it out. Come on, invest with me into the next generation because I can't do it by myself. Come on, we need you to do this. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message ministered to you. Feel free to let us know on the Connect tab of the House Church app. We hope you have a great week.